Welcome back to the Wellbeing Economy podcast. In this series, we're discussing the future of education and how a better built learning environment can improve the well-being of pupils, students, teachers and support staff. My name's Catherine Seaton and I'm the concept developer of education and well-being at SAS International. Joining me for the final part of our discussion is CEO of the East Kent College Group, Graham Raisey OBE. Graham, how important is mental health, well-being and physical fitness in further education? It's critical to the success of our young people in bridging that gap between education and the world of work. We are really focused upon ensuring that our young people are ready for that next step in their, their career and ensuring that all aspects, both of their mental and physical well-being, is in a place that enables them to be able to make that progression is a real important part of their education while they're with us. And what are the challenges for young people right now? I mean, in, in further education, it's the, quite often the first time that they have independence from their parents. They're in a much larger cohort. How do you support them in that journey? And what are the challenges now? I think for young people, there are numerous challenges. The one around independence is, is particularly important. But, but more, I think, because the school education is very narrow, the opportunities for young people to broaden their horizons is not great. We find that young people are coming to college and experiencing things for the very, very first time. And that could be very challenging for them, building new friendship groups, getting out of the normal way of being, has placed huge amount of pressure on young people. We are finding, particularly in some of our colleges, uh, particularly in our coastal districts, that poverty is playing a huge part, particularly digital poverty. And we're also finding that the opportunities for young people to do things outside of their uh, education are very, very limited. And so the kind of social isolation and, and the inability to be able to circulate with friends and spend time away from their studies and away from the home, those opportunities are just aren't where they were a few years ago. So what we're finding in young people is that their range of experiences are not as they were in previous, and I think COVID has made a particularly big impact upon that. But we're also finding that young people are less resilient than they previously were. And I try not to use the word resilience too lightly in that, you know, it's, I think it's an overused word, but I think what we're finding is, is that young people's ability to be able to take knockbacks, to be able to get up and go again, has been significantly impacted over the last few years. And I think that's because they're not experiencing a wider range of things in their life. And for us, that is proving significant for us because to achieve your your education goals, you do need a huge amount of grit and determination because a number of these qualifications are difficult. And for us, we had to demonstrably change the way that we educate our young people and the services that we provide to ensure that they stay on track to achieve. Yeah, I was just about to ask you to expand on that a little bit more. So you provide services for, I presume, sort of mental health, coaching, those sorts of things. How is that going and have you had to increase that dramatically? Have you had to sort of double the resources there? Yeah, so 
but for as long as I can remember, we've always had those core services like counselling, uh, mental health support. But now we're having to ensure that uh, a wider range of young people are supported. So each of our colleges has a wellbeing hub, a space and an opportunity for young people to go and have someone to talk to, to mingle with peers, to get that frontline support that they may require. Our more vulnerable students have a designated staff mentor that would ensure that they are constantly looked after, making sure that they are, that someone is looking out for their, for their well-being and making sure that any barriers that are stopping them being educated are overcome. And the other area that we're really putting a lot of resource into is around planning for their future destination, making sure that our careers planning and their opportunities to get involved with local employers through work experience and other work-related learning. We've really spent huge amount of resource in all of our colleges to make sure that young people are able to set more clearly defined goals by having better advice as to where they might go next. And we have seen that that is having a real positive impact on those young people and it's given them that, that clear goal to head for. And how are you encouraging the students back into class-based learning, you know, in-person meetings following lockdown? I think it became easy for all of us to sit behind a laptop at home. How are you transitioning people back into the learning environment? Yeah, I think this flies slightly against maybe what popular belief is, but our students were almost begging us to come back. They were absolutely determined that face-to-face -face learning was the way forward for them. So we did a survey during the second lockdown because I think we were a little bit nervous about whether or not students would return. And 97% of our 16 to 18 cohort wanted to be back on campus full-time. Not part-time, not hybrid learning. They wanted to be back on campus full-time. Yes, we've had a number of nervous individuals and we still have some students wearing masks and, you know, taking precautions, as absolutely we encourage. But they wanted to get back to learning. They particularly missed the workshop environments, missed the hands-on practical work. They missed our social action programme where they get out into the community. And for us, it actually was relatively easy. I think it's been more challenging with all of the different changes we've had to make to the learning spaces and the environments to make sure that we've been able over those kind of lockdown light moments where we've had to you know have social distancing and various other conditions within the classroom but actually for our young people they were really determined to be back with us. You've made some significant improvements to the further education infrastructure in Kent. How does the built environment support student success? Well, I think the way young people in particular learn today is very different to, to when I was at school. Young people like to have inspirational areas. They like to have state-of-the-art technology. I think being an IT teacher is probably the, the hardest job in the world right now as technology changes so quickly. And our young people are hungry to have the latest technology, which is really challenging for us to keep up with. They like to have environments that are really conducive to learning. They like collaborative spaces. They like to have opportunities to be able to work in groups and work independently as well and the old traditional classroom has in a sense started to disappear.
What we're also seeing is our young people's desire for our organisation to be more environmentally sustainable. We're being pushed very hard by our students' union and our student body in general to have more consciousness around our impact on the environment. So we are spending a lot of time, energy and funding on ensuring that we are as sustainable as we possibly can. And interestingly, one of the projects that we've run very recently was around reducing paper usage. And in a calendar year, we went from producing over 7 million copies of paper to just over a million. Now, COVID had some impact on that, but not to that extent. And there was a real conscious effort across the organisation through teachers, managers and, and students to become more digital and be more conscious about whether or not we needed to, to print that piece of paper. So we are spending a lot of time and resource on ensuring that our learning environments are more environmentally friendly. You mentioned sustainability and technology being important aspects of the built environment for your students right now. When you're considering a new build project or a refurbishment, what are your top three priorities and, and have they have they changed since COVID or, or do you think they're still very much the same? COVID has probably impacted us upon what we do with our staff spaces as opposed to our student spaces. So we have a considerable number of our staff now working in hybrid working, about 25% of the workforce. So that has made us consider the spaces that staff would require when they're working on site as opposed to when they're working from home. But with regards to students, I think I don't think COVID has particularly changed our thoughts on that. I think the three most important things are, one is to be mirroring industry would be our number one priority. Can we ensure that the students are learning in a space that they would see in industry? Secondly, is it a space that is conducive to learning? And what I mean by that is, are we maximising the potential for the teacher to be able to get the very best out of those students from that space? And that often can be very different in its design and configuration, depending on the sector in which we are teaching. And thirdly, the environment and sustainability, I think, would be our third consideration. And I think over the last two or three years, that's a consideration that we would not have made previously, partly because the funding wouldn't have been there to do it. And it is considerably more expensive to have more sustainable learning spaces. But now I think the moral imperative has outweighed the funding cost for the first time. And I think now we are considering you know, having less spaces but making them more sustainable and environmental rather than probably what we were doing in the past was trying to get as much as we possibly could for the money we had. And what do you find has worked best for your students with disabilities? Well, we have 900, just over 900 young people who have an educational health and care plan of which uh, just over 600 of those have very severe and significant learning difficulties. So it's a world that we know very well. I think for us, working with young people with disabilities is all about making sure that they have the opportunities to be able to progress as any other student would be able to. How can we bridge that gap to employment or independent living that would not 
otherwise be possible without our education and our support. So it's about creating those environments for those students, which enables them to take those steps that enable them to create that independence or that bridge to maybe supported employment. So we're trying to make it as industry and employer relevant as we possibly can. And clearly for some of those young people, the steps have to be smaller, but also sometimes we have to take more time to get to their stated goal. But it is important that we are aiming to progress those students in, in the same way that we are students who, uh, who do not have a disability. So often the spaces may well look very similar and the support we give those students may look very similar with some specific elements that will help with individual disability or, or learning difficulty. And how are you supporting staff with well-being? And are there any elements you mentioned within the space, the hybrid learning and how things have changed for many of your staff now? How's that progressing? Well, we have a well-being policy and we have a number of initiatives that are there to support staff. I think the the biggest thing that we do is ensure that that's a constant dialogue between manager and staff, that we, we keep that very live in the discussion we have as professionals. I think well-being is very individualised. It's very much about the individual person and ensuring that as leaders and managers, we are open to working with individuals on what will help with their well-being, I think is really important. I think... I think where you have the most success is where individuals are very clear about what will help them and the organisation then helps to support them in their goals. So I think for us, flexible working has really, really helped. I think being a family-friendly organisation, I think also has been a positive move. We're also a Real Living Wage Foundation employer and I think wages play a big part in well-being. So I think it's about looking at every aspect and ensuring that all staff individually are supported in not only work but also life. Are there any policies, standards or accreditations that you think or do positively impact students and staff? Well, I think there are a number of bodies out there who are there to help us and support us in, in what we want to achieve. I've never been a big one on kite marks and standards, personally. I think it's about setting your own policies and then looking at partnerships around you that can help you in creating an environment for both staff and students that is contextualised to your particular own situation. So I think it's important that leaders, managers, governors in an education environment look at what best meets the needs of their own student and staff bodies. But I think there are a wealth of people out there. For instance, uh, you know, in the further education sector, we have our own association of colleges. We have a variety of other organisations that support us. There is a Kent Further Education body. There's a group called the Collab Group, which is a group of very large colleges that supports each other. So I think it's about having a network around you that you can trust who can help you achieve your goals. But I am a firm believer that you need to set the right policies and approach for the context in which you work. And actually working in East Kent across the coastal districts is is quite unique. And so it's about finding the right approach for for your own organisation, I think.
Are there any areas where you would like to see more innovation or collaboration in order to push forward? You know, you mentioned about the sustainable solutions being much more expensive. Are there areas where you think there are gaps and you could perhaps do with some more support from industry? Well, I think for me, possibly don't want to get too political about it, but I think the government needs to do more, both on the mental health agenda and the sustainability uh, agenda. I think the Department for Education has come out with some mental health support, but it's, it's nowhere near what's required. The CAM system within the health service is really saturated right across the country. And the threshold now for a young person to get support is very, very high. So the burden then falls on education providers to be able to support those young people. And whilst we do a lot, you know, I truly believe we do a lot, I think actually it has to be a greater partnership between health and education in supporting these young people. And accessing those resources is, is really tricky. So I can educate my teachers and my support staff to be mental health champions. And we have a number of mental health first aiders. But there is no substitute for proper health support. So I think the government can do more there. On the sustainability agenda, I think the cost, uh, particularly with rebuild or, or refurbishment, is significantly higher to achieve your sustainability goals. And that bridge between the cost of more traditional approaches to where we would like to be, which is more sustainable. I think the government has to do more, particularly in the public service, to bridge that gap. And I hope that COP26 and the promises that were made will be realised over the next period and that education will play a major role in that. My final question to you really is, what does the future look like for the East Kent College Group? I think for me, I, I know we've been successful where local employers and, and local people tell us we're doing a good job. They are the guardians of the success of the East Kent College Group. They will tell us when we're doing a good job. And there is still work to do with some sectors, still work to do in some of the, the districts in which we work. And so for me, it's about making sure that local people have what they require to be able to be more prosperous in their lives and for businesses to be getting the added value from the people that are training and developing in our organisations. And that's where I get my success from. It's where it makes me feel, you know, it gives me that little glow when I get the feedback from those external stakeholders who, who tell us we're doing a good job. But I think we're doing a pretty good one. And I think uh, over the next few years, I hope to be taking us further on that journey. But no, it's a really good position for us to be in when we're meeting the needs of our districts. Can you tell me a bit more about those sectors? Which ones are currently embracing the further education sector and which ones perhaps aren't? Yeah, I think the most challenging sector at the moment is the construction industry. I think there is, I was, I was speaking to some construction employers this morning, and I think the bridge between further education in construction trades, there's a big gap between that and being really adding value on a site and I think employers and the colleges have got to bridge that gap. And I think there's more work to be done. I think the industry is structured in a way that has a lot of subcontractors. For me, there needs to be more investment in apprenticeships and more investment in, in work experience so that we can bridge that gap between the theory and, and, and the reality. And, and I think that will help young people in building 
their resilience to that industry and you know getting used to what it's like to work day in day out in what is currently a challenging industry i think we are working well i think we're working very well within the creative industries i think they are really embraced in all of our, our creative departments setting many real briefs real opportunities for young people to get that experience so it's a mixed picture, but I think for me, I'd really like to crack the industry, construction industry over the next five years if we possibly could. Do you have any final comments for our listeners regarding wellbeing and the further education sector? The only thing I would say is I think, you know, I'm really pleased that there are podcasts like this. I think keeping wellbeing and sustainability on the agenda, I think is absolutely critical. The more we talk about it, the more we discuss it, the more we educate our young people about the more moral way for our society to develop, I think is really, really important. So, you know, for me, keeping the topics on the agenda, having the open and transparent debate, I think is all very, very positive. So I just encourage people to keep talking about it and just be alert to the challenges that young people face. Thank you very much for your time today, Graham. Thank you. This podcast was brought to you by SAS International. If you enjoyed this series, Please follow us or subscribe to The Wellbeing Economy.